I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. You're listening to All Things Policy. I'm Aditya Parikh. Before we begin, I'd like to recommend Takshashila's graduate certificates in public policy programs. If the topic of today's discussion interests you, consider signing up for our Defense and Foreign Affairs course and our Technology and Policy course. We also offer a course in Health and Life Sciences. To know more, visit the link in the show notes. Russia's economy has been hit by unprecedented sanctions and it is currently experiencing a downturn which hasn't been observed in the case of a major economy. While export controls have existed for a long time on other sanctioned nations, Russia's case is especially dire because it's such a large economy and most of the stuff that it needs for its military industrial complex, its civilian sectors, everything really depends on a lot of components being sourced from the West. And with the latest sanctions, the caveat about all the intellectual property that goes into manufacturing of those high-tech components being denied to the Russian economy is having a devastating impact. And this extends to something that has been a problem for a while and has been in shortage for a while globally, semiconductors. So I have with me today my friend and colleague, Arjun Gargayas, who has written quite a bit extensively on the semiconductor ecosystem in the world and India's semiconductor policies. So welcome, Arjun. Hey, Aditya. Good to be here. So yeah, I mean, the whole concept of sanctions and embargoes on the Russian economy, we've seen that it creates a large range of products and one of them is semiconductors. Why the focus on semiconductors is because of how globalized and how big a supply chain it is. It is kind of hard to point on where exactly and what exactly can kind of affect the supply chain because there are so many intricate layers and dependencies which have been created. So every time a global event such as like a war or an invasion or a financial crisis just happens or even like a pandemic. So there is always this question of such technology supply chains such as the semiconductors being affected. And so when Russia invaded Ukraine or when the whole crisis blew up, there was this talk about what would it mean for the global chip supply. And considering the fact that the COVID pandemic itself like adversely affected the industry and many sectors have not even got back to the pre-pandemic level, especially the automotive sector and the gaming sector. All these sectors are still reading from shortage of chip supplies and production has been at an all-time low. So that creates like questions about how these global events can have a catastrophic impact on a technology supply chain such as semiconductors. That is where Russia and the Ukrainian dependency comes in. Indeed, and if we talk a little specific, so the neon gases needed for the equipment to that actually produces some of these semiconductors in question, that has been a problem that is projected to be a problem with supply of it from uh, Ukraine and Russia and palladium, for example, is an important element that is used in the production process as well. So those supplies, what what are your thoughts on them being curtailed because of this ongoing conflict? 
Yeah, so I think we can look at it from two different lenses. One is the Ukrainian dependency itself and one is the Russian dependency. So the Ukrainian dependency, as you said, is more on the neon gas side. So neon gas uh, was actually kind of a byproduct which was produced during the Soviet era industrialization. So at that point of time, factories and companies in Ukraine started manufacturing neon gas or industrial grade neon gas for large scale purpose. And what we've seen that uh, is the use of these gases primarily in the process of etching. So etching is this process wherein definitive patterns are created on the silicon wafer while manufacturing the chip. So this may be basically kind of creating circuitry on the silicon wafer itself. And that process is basically called etching. And for that process to, you know, take place in a closed room space or, uh, you know, without any reactions to the outside gases. So that's why um, Neon... Even xenon and other noble gases, which are basically non-reactionary in nature, are used for, you know, igniting these lasers, which are used for the etching process itself. And the fact that Ukraine supplies almost 60 to 70% of the world's industrial grade etching gases, in specific neon itself. So that is why experts feared that when this whole military onslaught against Ukraine started, there might be a stoppage in the export of neon gas and this would completely kind of, again, demoralize the semiconductor supply chain itself. This is true. I mean, the fact that Ukraine does produce majority of the world's neon gas and the fact that it is used for etching purposes. But there is also this whole caveat of building redundancy and alternatives for this itself. So as the supply chain has grown and the technology has improved, there is also this whole concept of veering away from traditional methods such as what is called as dry etching, which used noble gases like neon and xenon. And now it's moved over to what we what they now use as plasma etching. So that uses halogen-based gases like chlorine-based or fluorine-based gases. And so there are always alternatives available and most of the major semiconductor firms have now moved from the dry etching to the plasma etching process. So the non-supply of neon by Ukrainian companies, though might create ripples in the semiconductor production, it's also kind of insulated in a way such that even the stoppage of neon gas exports from Ukraine for now will not actually adversely impact the production itself. There is also, there were also reports that two major companies in Ukraine, Cryoin and One More, which are the world's leading neon gas producers, have shut operations due to the Russian military offensive. And that is actually a cause for concern. But, you know, it depends on how long this conflict goes on too. So there, there might be some semiconductor firms which are still dependent on neon and other non-reactionary gases for their chip production itself. So the longer this plays out, the global stockpiles will reduce and eventually they would have to fall back on Ukraine for their neon supply. So for now, I think that it would not be a problem. And maybe in the future, if this continues, like smaller firms which are still dependent on neon for their production would kind of be hit. Now, coming to the Russian dependency, it's more or less from the post-manufacturing bit. As you said, Russia is a huge producer and exporter of palladium. 
Palladium is a metal used in the coating and finishing processes of semiconductor chipsets. So uh, when Russia, in 2021 itself, the total production of this metal in the country is at almost 2.35 million ounces. So now with Russia facing sanctions, export bans and other economic blockades, there's also fears that this would lead to a shortage in palladium exports and other platinum uh, metal exports, which also Russia is a major producer of resulting in kind of like massive rise in prices on the market. So now the fact that just palladium is again not going to be a problem because there are alternatives available to people right now. So the scenario uh, wherein Russia's exports have been reduced was also been anticipated before because same kind of export bans and sanctions were placed on Russia during the 2014 annexation of Crimea. So at that point of time, people understood what would be the kind of impact that Russia would have on global supply chains. And that is when they kind of wanted to build redundancy around this. And so that is when they kind of stopped trying to rely too much on Russian exports, especially in palladium for semiconductors. So they're, look, they're looking at other countries such as South Africa, US, UK. They're all uh, major exporters of palladium itself. And they're also looking at other metals. Now, gold, platinum to an extent. All these metals are actually kind of being considered as other options for coating and finishing the chipsets. So basically, the whole process of a semiconductor plating services, which are dependent on palladium, it's still dependent on palladium as a material but they're not dependent on Russia as the sole source of the material. So this kind of intricate tying into global events and our dependencies on the two major players in this conflict, especially Russia and Ukraine. So they have raised questions of how this might impact the global supply chain. Some people say that it's going to adversely and completely reduce production due to this dependency. But again, from my perspective, it's the fact that Technology supply chain, especially in semiconductors, has grown to such a level that there have been alternatives and redundancies in place now for at least some part of the supply chain. And this will hold true. So at least in the current scenario, we might not expect like a full-blown dip in production itself. So anyways, that would kind of be my assessment. We can talk about, I mean, the impact on Russia itself. Sure. I just want to add two very pedestrian points if you'd let me. So about the neon itself. So as you said, the production was kind of coming from the Soviet Union's legacy. Even during the industrial era of the Soviet Union, all the steel plants in the republics were uh, producing neon as a byproduct. So this also extends to Russia even today, as far as I understand. So there is a certain percentage of neon also coming from Russian steel plants spread across Yekaterinburg to Siberia. So one of my friends asked me, is it kind of centered around Donbass between Russia and Ukraine? So I don't really think that Donbass's steel production and these byproducts production is kind of a factor as much as they are central to the current conflict. So that's, that's just one caveat I wanted to add because Donbass used to be one of the most industrialized regions in the Soviet Union at a time. And another thing was, uh, I remember when I I was just a student, I wasn't a policy analyst. So at the time, I used to come across these consumer tech stories about how only a few hours of power outage had to production lines of Samsung or Micron. And those power outages 
used to stifle the production process to a point that people were worried and major tech outlets were writing stories about how there might be a shortage and uh, ramp prices would rise. So it's a very different kind of a perspective looking at things now. So I thought that our uh, listeners might be interested in that perspective as well. So yeah, as you mentioned about Russia's own semiconductors industry and how the current crisis is affecting them. So let's be very clear. Russia, like a lot of other countries, doesn't really have the capability to go at it alone. So the global nature of supply chains is something that is kind of more bite in Russia's case because it has been this economy where it wanted to do import substitutions and did all the policy measures possible. But around the time in the early 2010s, even before the events of the Crimean Peninsula uh, in 2014, things weren't exactly, you know, turning out to be in favor of Russia. There have been a few plants set up and there are legacy facilities like say the Angstrom T or the Micron group. So it's important that we highlight this difference between Micron, the company that uh, makes those crucial SSDs and RAM sticks that we see in desktop grade consumer hardware in the West and in India. And then there's the Micron group, which is a Russian company, which is completely not affiliated to that. So they are the largest two semiconductor producer in Russia and they have probably the most high-tech facilities capable of I think 90 to 65 nanometer nodes that can produce 90 to 65 nanometer nodes. And then there are facilities like Angstrom T, which is a legacy company coming even from the Soviet times. And then there are companies like GS Nanotech who pretty much who offer assembly and testing services for these semiconductors that are put into ICs. So I think they do have some capability, but not enough to go, go alone at it. And they definitely are, they don't have a TSMC equivalent and they definitely were dependent on TSMC even before these restrictions came into force. And as you know about the two leading CPU designs that Russia can call its own, there's the Elbrus x86 and Spark CPUs that are designed by MCST. And then there's the Baikal Electronics ARM chipsets, which are RISC-V. So both of those were produced by TSMC. And we recently heard that TSMC has notified both of these designers that we are suspending deliveries for the product that you contracted us to make because the IP sanctions are just going to kick in and we can't supply you anymore. So now it's a very difficult situation for the Russian economy. So their idea should have been to go after import substitutions in the sense that they should somehow get lithography equipment as soon as possible from sources as soon as possible. That would be amenable to them. But it's kind of half their fault, half not their fault. Because so ASML, the main supplier from the Netherlands, which makes this equipment, uh, refused them a bunch of equipment even before any sanctions were in, in the question as far as I understand. So Russia was dealt a very bad hand by the US and by the Netherlands and everybody else involved in, uh, you know, having a monopoly over these sectors. So even after that, it's kind of a difficult situation because the, the measures that the Russian government has taken are pretty much about lowering the fiscal burden of these companies that exist in Russia. So they're thinking in terms of tax breaks, benefits, that sort of a thing that if you owe us a little, you can pay us later or you can pay us at a reduced rate. But they're not thinking in terms of how to find facilities where you would make those actual CPUs. So I think the policy response has been half measure or rather even less of a measure. And it's really difficult to see what the alternate suppliers might be except for China. 
which has its own chip maker, but it is also primarily a chip maker of trailing edge chips, as you point out quite a bit, Arjun. So I don't think all of those needs which Russia's industries might go for uh, would be fulfilled by SMIC, which is China's own chip maker on mainland China. So I think 65 nanometer processes would mitigate some of those needs, but not everything would be perfect. That's my idea. And then there's that question about if SMIC would follow suit with TSMC and all, because they also depend on a little bit of a US IP and other Western IP to manufacture their chips. So it might be that they might be secondary sanctioned if they fulfill Russia's demands for chips. So, uh, I mean, the US officials have directly issued such threats that actions would be taken against China if it supplies chips to mitigate the export control measures on uh, Russia. So, yeah, I think everything is up in the air right now and we have to really watch this space. Yeah, I mean, that's a very nuanced argument. So, to make, because I guess that as we've seen, Russia is not such a big importer of semiconductors itself. And it has some capability to an extent in designing and even to a, a bit in manufacturing. But again, there are so many other things, right? Like equipment needed for manufacturing and other stuff, which all tie into the whole entire process of production of chips. So while even the impact on Russia itself due to these sanctions may be short term, it will actually kind of hit them in the long term. And the more or the longer the war goes on, the sanctions will get intensified. The West will try to put more pressure on the Russian economy and try to block off any sort of exports which are totally dependent on. Uh, they already went after their oil and gas industry. Now they might actually go after the defense and space industry, which is also a revenue generating industry for them. So in that way, I think the chip which would actually come into Russia, which was supposed to come into Russia, would take a hit and that would kind of have an impact. But the most impactful would be the extent of the sanctions itself. That's something I wanted to go into because the whole sanctions, right? The whole tech sanctions, what we're seeing now on Russia, it's obviously led by the United States. It is completely led by the United States and the sanctions itself, which is released by the Department of Commerce, at the government of US. So they have this Bureau of Industry and Security. So they kind of release press statements and have their own re uh, press releases on what exactly the sanctions be. Now, one of the interesting things that you mentioned, right? So the IP, the American IP or the intellectual property, the new controls kind of mean that the American government is in effect claiming jurisdiction over any person or company in the world that uses American technology to make products for sale. So it will force anyone who wishes to sell a vast array of technologies. This can include anything from semiconductors, lasers, sensors, and all that stuff. And they have to request a license from the United States government before they are selling to Russia, is what the sanctions itself says. So this control, again, is also enforced through a threat of further sanctions against any company, person or country which sells to Russia in contravention of the rules. So the whole dominance of American companies, especially in the semiconductor design aspect or even the semiconductor supply chain itself makes it harder for Russia to look at alternative sources to source their chip supply. As you said, right, even it will 
traditionally go back to its allies such as China, from which it imports almost 70% of its semiconductor chips. So even the Chinese companies which manufacture chips, again, Albert, this is uh, the fact that the Chinese companies look at mostly trading edge nodes and not at leading edge ones because they do not have the capacity themselves. But they still use certain American IP, as you mentioned. Now, if TSMC has already notified that they would stop the production of Michael and Elvis chips, AMT, Intel, NVIDIA have all suspended shipments. There are a few which are still continuing with the shipments. One of them is the South Korean company, K-Hynix. So the, uh, the South Korean government has actually kind of requested the U.S. government for permission to allow the continuation of semiconductor exports to Russia because that would hit their economy as well because they are reliant so much on semiconductor exports. So uh, what remains to be seen is that if the Americans actually give permission to the South Korean government or will South Korean companies continue doing it without fearing any further sanctions and coming to the Chinese companies itself, we do not know how they're going to respond because even their stance has been not openly in support of Russia, but they've always maintained this whole thing about not going with the West sanctions. So if they continue to supply Russia with semiconductor chips, it remains to be seen if further sanctions would actually deter them or they would ignore them also. As you said, right, the commerce secretary or the commerce general of the United States government actually came out and said that SMIC would be under, they would be under severe uh, sanctions themselves if they continue to supply to Russia. But you do not know how they'll react and if this thing holds. So it's going to be hard for us to predict what kind of impact would actually be on the ground in Russia. But one thing is for sure, even if there is not a short-term impact, there would kind of be long-term impact on the Russian industry itself. Because this uh, semiconductors are not just consumer electronics or just electronic products per se. Because they've grown and they've become a broader area of usage. It's There's a lot of scope for different kind of sectors. And that is why we need to kind of focus on what impact it will have on Russia. But one thing is for sure, it is going to hit Russia hard. But to what extent is something that we would love to predict. And I, I think we've done that in our own document itself on the potential impacts on different sectors in the Russian economy. So I think you can just let our listeners know on what you think can actually be an impact on the Russian. Sure. So on that note, folks, we'll take a short break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, folks. We're discussing the export controls in high-tech sectors on Russia. So as you mentioned before the break, Arjun, a potential fallout on uh, Russia's uh, different sectors of the economy from this slew of export controls that have uh, come up. So I think uh, the biggest impact obviously would be on the IT industry. So I'd like to mention that I've come across the Russian business press talking a lot about how simulation exercises were run in the run-up to the current crisis, reaching the critical phase. And major Russian banks like VBT and Sparebank have come under sanctions. And, you know, there's this... Uh, idea that these entities are running bunch of data centers and they're part of an IT ecosystem which is pretty much on par with any big bank in the world. 
like Citibank, HDFC, all those guys. So pretty much it's comparable infrastructure that they need for running consumer uh, transactions from run, for running international transactions. So uh, they need the same kind of Intel Xeon chips or AMD Ryzen chips to actually compete in that space. And with delivery suspended from both Intel and AMD, it's kind of a situation that they kind of saw coming. And at least in the case of Sparebank, I can say that there was some talk of stockpiling some of this equipment, some of these supplies, CPUs and laptops and all such things. So the idea there was that they knew a shock was coming and they had previously evaluated the Elbrus chips and the Baikal chips that are of Russian designs. And the assumption was that only IP from Intel and AMD might be under embargo and they would continue to, you know, get manufactured CPUs of their own design from TSMC as far as I understand. So they evaluated those uh, CPUs and it turns out that they are nowhere near the efficiency required for those operations to be based on that infrastructure, which is pretty much Russian design. So it's a kind of a double whammy now. They're just reliant on the stockpile they have right now and then they might be left with the pretty heavy consumer grade to a hardware being daisy-chained for the lack of a better term, you know, hooked together to somehow manage those same tasks that the highly efficient Western-supplied infrastructure was providing them. But uh, yeah, so I think the mitigation exercises were rather, you know, uh, preparing for a different scenario, a much tamer scenario than the one that came. So the IT sector, the banking sector is uh, pretty much impacted the worst. And the automotive sector, as you mentioned earlier in this podcast, they rely a lot on integrated circuits, ICs. And this is a global problem with the chip shortage that many of the auto manufacturers have to suspend their operations because they just don't have the chips on hand. So it's kind of a, a supply and demand kind of a situation, which is a pretty drastic for the global automotive industry. But with Russia's automakers uh, not really producing that much because there's a bunch of factors. There's also the inflation involved. There's, uh, there's also the lack of demand and there's the payments problem with the SWIFT option not being there anymore. So foreign auto manufacturers who set up facilities in, in Russia's territory they are also suspending operations for the moment with uncertainty because, you know, uh, it just doesn't make sense for them to continue operations if they can't pay the salaries or send money abroad to their other facilities where they might need to procure something else or send remuneration back, that sort of a thing. So those chips meant for these facilities inside Russia are now, I think, being diverted to other countries. And if I am to believe some of the Indian media reports, some of these chips are even coming to India where auto manufacturers are also struggling with the chip shortage. So yeah, but the 65 nanometer railing edge chips being the primary consumption requirement of the automotive industry. So SMIC might be able to bridge that gap in some sense, I think. Even if TSMC or uh, other manufacturers, other fabs might not be able to supply everything. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there are so many uh, factors to consider here. And you track space a lot, right? So is there any impact on the Russian space agency or the industry itself due to this export control and chip shortage? Okay, so it's kind of funny because even before these latest sanctions came in, Dimitri Rogozin, who is... Uh, pretty active on social media, including Twitter and Telegram and all. He's the chief of the Russian state space company Roscosmos and he's always in the headlines. And so even before these latest sanctions came in, in I think it was the summer of 2021 when he was addressing the state Duma, the parliament of Russia, 
So he admitted that some satellites could not be launched by Roscosmos uh, because they lacked certain uh, specific integrated circuits, which could only be supplied by the West at the time. So a lot of their launches were kind of hanging in the balance uh, on a supply of those chips. And since the events of uh, 2014 in Crimea, those chips were uh, not supplied to Russia and the uh, Russian space program, the Russian space industry is paying a devastating price for that. And even with these latest sanctions, there's there's been a lot of context, but I think it's a lot more about uh, space policy. And uh, if I can just take one minute to talk about it. So uh, there's, there was this problem with OneWeb, which is, which is supposed to be a satellite internet provider, quite on par with Starlink, Elon Musk's. Uh, so it's a UK company and they contracted the Soyuz rockets, the launch vehicles that Russia uses to send stuff into space and uh, deposit stuff into orbit. So those satellites, I think the contract was worth like 8 billion or so. And Dmitry Rogozin publicly announced that they wouldn't be launching those satellites after these sanctions were imposed on Russia, after this crisis came into effect, because they wanted a guarantee from OneWeb that we hope these satellites are not going to be used for military purposes. And if a sufficient guarantee cannot be given, which would be, you know, reviewed by Russia and believed, if that is not possible, we're not going to launch these satellites. So at the moment, those satellites remain with Roscosmos. They have not been given back as far as I know, as of this recording. And OneWeb also decided to cut ties and spend the contract with Roscosmos. So the effect on space industry is pretty drastic and it's pretty lively. I would just say you should really follow Dimitri Rogozin on Twitter. There's a lot of content being generated. Well, I'll look into that. So, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a space to watch out for at least in the next a month because the impact the tech sanctions are actually causing on the Russian economy is pretty drastic. And it, we do not know how they're going to rebound from it. And semiconductors is just a, a small part of it. But if you take in the big picture, semiconductors would be a very big part of it because it will impact most of their sectors. So I think we had a fun conversation today. Hopefully we get get back to this sometime in the future and see if what we have said is actually right. So yes. Indeed, Arjun. And yeah, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. And on that note, folks, we'll call it a wrap. If you liked today's episode, please do check out all past and future episodes of All Things Policy. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.